your Bibles, please join me in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Uh, my name is Alec. I'm one of the deacons here at Cross of Grace, and I have the privilege to study the church in Laodicea with you guys this morning. Starting in verse 14, let's read God's holy word. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, give us ears to hear you rightly today. Lord, Holy Spirit, convict us today of any lukewarm areas we may be comfortable sitting in. But Father, help us to see the grace interweaved throughout this letter to this church. Lord, and let it encourage us to be on fire for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today's passage reveals the relationship between the Laodicean Christians and Christ. Their self-sufficient lifestyle and works were so upsetting to Jesus that in some translations, he says that he wanted to vomit them out of his mouth. I don't know about you, but if someone were to come up to me and say, man, Alec, the way you are, you just make me want to vomit, brother. Man, there would be some serious self-assessment and reflection happening after that. So why does Jesus write this letter to this church, and why is it in our Bibles for us to read today? Well, first off, it's to encourage lukewarm Christians whose reliance is on themselves. It's to encourage them, hey, rely on Christ. It's also to encourage lukewarm Christians to see their need for Christ. And lastly, it shows us our merciful gracious God and how he continues to invite us over and over when we so often dismiss our need for him. My question for you today is this. Are you comfortable being lukewarm? And hear the exhortation. Be zealously on fire for him. Three points we're going to look at today. Point number one, the self-reliant lukewarm Christian 
Point number two, the Christ-reliant, zealous Christian. And point number three is the choice before us. So before we jump into the passage, let's take a glance at Christ's threefold title in verse 14. We see first and foremost, he introduces himself to this church as the words of the Amen. The word Amen in Hebrew literally means true. We see in the New Testament, this word is used over 130 times. A prominent scholar, George Beasley Murray, has this to say about this Christ title, the words of the Amen. As surely as God's own character stands behind his word, so Jesus is the guarantee of the truth of his message. What Jesus' words say in both grace and in judgment will faithfully come to pass. There is nothing uttered from his mouth that is not true. Not only does he come as the amen, the true one, he also comes as the faithful and true witness. This title reasserts what Jesus is about to say to this church is not only true, but it is faithful. They must listen to Jesus' words no matter how difficult to swallow, no matter how sweet the message is. And he comes to this church as the faithful and true witness because they have not been faithful and true in their witness in the city of Laodicea. Our third title, Jesus comes as the beginning of God's creation. He is the eternal son of God, the ruler of creation. Where there was once no life, Christ, by an utterance of his command, of his word, there is life. What was once dead did not remain dead if Christ wills for it to live. He is a powerful ruler of all. He is faithful and he is true. As Jesus begins this letter, he is reminding them that his words are faithful and true. He's reminding them that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present. He continues by identifying their works in this letter the way he does in five of the other seven letters. And these works were neither cold nor hot, which leads us to point number one, the self-reliant, lukewarm Christian. Verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Imagine this. You are getting ready to hop in a hot tub, hop in a jacuzzi after a long, brutal softball practice with the church, or your throat is sore and you are just you're longing to order a hot soup to help soothe the pain, or you just did some yard work for a few hours out in the hot sun. You just can't wait for that ice-cold drink of water. But in all those things, imagine as you get into the jacuzzi, as you drink the ice-cold water, it is not the way it's supposed to be, but it is instead lukewarm. It is not soothing. It is not refreshing. How 
disappointing would that be? Right? You would look at that and you'd say, man, this is useless to me. This isn't what I thought it would be. If you're catching my drift, you get a glimpse of how Christ viewed the church in Laodicea. They were not functioning the way they were supposed to be. They were not serving the, pri- the purpose for which Christ had called them. They were not being the church that Christ died for them to be. Christ wasn't saying that hot and cold was bad, but instead he was using a metaphor in their day that would have made complete sense. As upon reading those words, they would have stopped dead in their tracks. The city of Laodicea built two aqueducts in their day, one going to Colossae, one going to Hierapolis. Hierapolis was known for their spring water, their hot spring water, right, which was used medicinally, used therapeutically for healing. And Colossae was known, located right under a mountain. They were known for their cold, fresh mountain water for drinking. But the problem was that as the water came into the city, after all of its traveling, its miles and miles to get to the city, it ended up being lukewarm once they tasted it, once they used it. They had lost their hot and cold temperatures, and the result was lukewarm water. No longer could they use the hot water for their hospitals. No longer could they use the cold water for their drinking, expecting refreshment. The water supply that they built was worthless to them. It was useless because it did not function the way it was created to be. Jesus is telling this church, hey, just like your aqueducts you've built, how that water is useless to you, that's how you have been to me as a church. What is it that makes Jesus want to vomit? It is their lifestyle that reflects self-reliant works. Their faith did not impact the way they lived as Christians. Jesus was hardly in their lives. It was almost as if they just checked the box by going to Sunday, and then they lived the rest of their week the way they wanted to, on their own terms, and the way they saw fit. Beasley Murray has more to say about what their faith and lifestyle may have looked like. The Laodiceans do not reject the gospel of Christ, nor do they affirm it with joy. They maintain it without conviction, without enthusiasm, without reflection of its implications for life. Christian, does the gospel bring you joy? Is there conviction in how and why you do what you do? And is that conviction shaped by the gospel? Do you get enthusiastic about Jesus and what he's done for you? Do you recognize your need for Christ in your life daily? For these Christians, Jesus' words went in one ear and out the other. There was no real change, and their lifestyle reflected it. Their self-reliance caused them to be lukewarm, indifferent, complacent in their faith. And the sad part is they saw nothing wrong with it. 
So why would this make Jesus angry? First, Christ desires that his church be the salt and the light of the earth, right? These Christians were meant to be a witness to the other non-believers around them, but they looked just like the non-believers. There was nothing distincting them apart from the non-believers and who they were called to be. They were ineffective in word and deed. They enjoyed sitting in neutral when the reality is we are never, ever just neutral in our relationship with the Lord. We are either moving towards him or moving away from him. And we know that the kingdom of God is constantly moving. In Ezekiel, there's a really cool uh, symbolic picture about the kingdom of God that has wheels with eyes all around it. It's able to see, and it's also constantly moving. It's never just sitting, right? But these Christians were not moving faithfully. And lastly, Ricky helped me to remember that all throughout Revelation, it is so clear. There's two paths that people are on. You are either with the dragon, or you are with the lamb. You are either of Babylon, or you are of the bride. You are either headed to hell, or headed to heaven. So we see why Christ was so serious in his rebuke against this church. So in verse 16, we see the self-reliance of the Laodicean Christians. And in verse 17, we get a glimpse of their vanity and their pride. We see in 17, they say, we are rich, we have prospered, we need nothing. Here's just an example of this church's pride on display. It's in Roman historical archives. Earthquakes in Asia Minor were frequent. They happened often. A lot of fault lines running through Asia Minor. And in AD 60, there was an earthquake that was so bad, it not only wiped out Laodicea, but it wiped out 12 cities in total. It was custom for Rome in that day to send out financial relief packages to help those people recover and rebuild. And it stated that of the 12 cities... Laodicea was the only church that denied Rome's financial relief. So we see in this city, the pride is rampant, and it seems that it has made itself into the church walls itself. Laodicea prided itself on three things. First, their financial wealth. These guys had banking systems established, and commerce and trade were constantly coming through this city throughout the year. People from all over the ancient world wanted to come to Laodicea, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Why? But the second thing that they prided themselves on was their medical advancement. These guys in the field of ophthalmology were some of the best in the world, some of the best in the ancient world. They had this powder made of Phrygian stone that was applied to the outsides of the eyelids to help cure sight. They also had these textbooks about eye care that were used up to the Middle Ages. This was a span of over 1,400 years. They really prided themselves on how far medically they were advanced in. The third thing was their garment industry. They were famous far and wide 
because of the sheep that hung out in their country. These sheep were special and unique. They had this dark raven black wool that was desired by all people all over the ancient world. And this, uh, the sheep's, was that fur? Do sheep have fur? Well, whatever it's called, their wool, man, it was so soft that people just couldn't get enough of it. And they were known for their garments as well as their tunics. But do you see what Jesus is doing here? This boat that they live on, they think they are setting sails into comfort, into security. But Jesus is like, man, y'all got holes in this boat and y'all are drowning. What does he say? While the Laodicean church viewed themselves as rich with all their banking systems and commerce and trade, Jesus is like, y'all are poor, spiritually poor. Jesus tells them, or while they go on to gloat about their ophthalmology and their advanced eye care, man, Jesus says, y'all are blind. And while they boast in the abundance of their wool and their tunics and their garment industry, Jesus is like, y'all are naked. You're exposed. Where in your life, brothers and sisters, are you comfortable being lukewarm? Which areas of your life have you pushed Christ to the side and said, Jesus, I got this. Thanks, but no thanks. Maybe some of these examples might help you. Maybe you've had thoughts like this. Well, I'm not as bad as those people. Or maybe you've thought, well, I'm not, I'm not that cold. There's colder people out there. Maybe you're retired and you've taken your foot off the gas. Ah, oh, the young bucks got this. They're fine. But senior saints, there is a wisdom and there is an experience in you that us young bucks desire. We want discipleship with you. Maybe what steers the wheel of your life are your finances. Before you go anywhere, you check, are our numbers fine? Right? There's wisdom in good stewardship. We're called to take care of our finances. But do those direct the way we go in our life? Or do we ask, Lord, where to next? Where do you want me to go? And maybe you don't ask because it might interfere with your comfortable lifestyle. Maybe you do the bare minimum of going to church, but you live out the rest of your week on your own terms and agenda. Maybe your Bible reading and your quiet time is just when you get to it. Lord, when I have time for you, Lord, I'm going to just find my rest in this Netflix show instead of your word, instead of journaling or just praying to you, thanking you for the God you are. Christian, where in your life are you comfortable being lukewarm? This may seem like a downer of a message on Father's Day, but there is good news. I promise we're headed that way. Jesus offers the antidote to our lukewarmness. We see it in verse 18. The Christ-reliant, zealous Christian, point two, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, 
so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Hear what Jesus advises his people to do. Buy from him what he has to offer. The first thing, the gold refined by fire. Many scholars view this as new works for these Christians, that they can gain spiritual richness by putting off the old works that they used to do, the works that made Christ want to vomit. And they can now do new works. The whole idea of gold refined by fire was this process of gathering gold in extreme hot temperatures, and as the impurities rose to the top, they could skim them, and all that was left was pure gold. Christ is saying, we can remove those works you did previously that were ineffective in a fallen world, and we can replace them with obedient and holy works that are, that are much more valuable than refined gold. Here, in this offer, Jesus offers us to participate in work that is eternal, meaningful, and impactful forever. Work offered by him that is pure as gold. The second thing that Christ counsels them to buy are the white garments. Man, this is so, so good. The link between shame and nakedness you see in verse 18 has Old Testament echoes ringing throughout. We see in Genesis chapter 2, 25, that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. But after the fall, what happens? They see their shame. They see their nakedness. In the Old Testament, nakedness became a negative metaphor for sin and God's judgment on it. Christ views this church in Laodicea as being spiritually naked, completely exposed and vulnerable to the world around them, to being just like them. People who are wearing nothing but their sin and shame. If Christ is offering the white garments to these self-reliant, prideful Christians who don't think they need him, what does that tell us about Jesus? One, he desires that we don't remain in our sin and shame. Two, he desires that our sin be covered. Three, he desires to be the one who provides the covering of our sin and shame. And fourth, he desires to share his righteousness with us. Look at a few verses. If you are a note taker, jot down Isaiah 61.10 is what God's people say. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. We see in the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, 7 and 8, God's people saying, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. How? It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. How was it granted to his bride? 1 Peter 2.24 
he, he himself, Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The clothes of Christ on the cross. Sin. Your sin and my sin. Do you guys know what happened after God spoke with Adam and Eve about the consequences of their sin? It says in Genesis 3.21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So we see at the beginning of the Bible, God's desire has been to cover his people's sin and shame. And we see ultimately fulfilled in Christ for eternity, our sin and shame is covered. Forever. Forever. We no longer have to wear dirty rags, brothers and sisters. We are offered white garments. We are offered a new wardrobe by Christ. We are no longer identified by our previous wardrobe, by our previous sin and shame. That is not our identity. Our identity is in Christ because he offers us his righteousness. So when we stand before the Lord, the Lord will say, innocent, not guilty. Is it because you and I earned the white garments? Is it because we were good enough no, it's because Christ was more than enough to cover our sin and cover our shame so that when the Lord sees us on that day of judgment, he will not see our dirty rags. He will see the righteousness of Christ offered to us from Jesus' death and resurrection. He's forgiven all of our sins, brothers and sisters. We belong to Christ forever. The salve that Jesus offers cures the blindness of the Christians in Laodicea. It allows them to see, man, I just need the Lord. It allows them to see, man, I, how can I even live this life without the Lord? It allows them to see as soon as they wake up, Lord, what do you have in store for me today? Brothers and sisters, here Jesus offers sight See the reality behind the reality, behind our world's reality, as well as the own reality that we tend to drift into and really believe. See your need for Christ. See that your needs are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Everything he has to offer, he offers it freely graciously. And who alone can offer this to us? We sang it this morning. Only a holy God. It gets better. Guys, can you just read and hear the grace dripping all over these words? Right? We have a people that's like, man, I, Jesus, I don't really need you. We're good. We're able to pay the bills. Right? We're making pretty good money over here. No one's persecuting us like Philadelphia and Sardis. He's like, man, things are great. We're fine. Jesus will call you when we need you, right? But Jesus hasn't written them off. Look what he says. 
Listen to the comfort and then the call to action for the lukewarm Christian. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. What is the charge behind Jesus' discipline? It's love. It's not anger. It's not frustration at you, Christian. It's not disappointment. But it's his love. He loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. He loves you too much. So what does he do? He calls us to repent. To make a mental U-turn. And how does, he do, how does he call us to do this? Not just half-heartedly, oh, Lord, sorry about that. Let me get better. No, zealously be on fire for the Lord because of what he offers us, because of who he is, because he's our Savior and we belong to him. Be zealous for the Lord. The Lord teaches us over and over and over our need for him. Why? Because he loves us. He created us. He knows our need for him. He knows us perfectly. He knows our needs better than we even know them. So brothers and sisters, he is calling this church in Laodicea to repent repent, and to do so zealously, fervently. It gets better. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I always thought the knocking on the door metaphor was just for non-believers. But Jesus is knocking at the door of Christians. Did you catch that? These are his people. He's knocking at the door. He is talking to them, trying to get them to hear his voice. And he's waiting patiently. Man, he's just hoping that these Christians will turn and turn towards him, turn from their lukewarmness. And he's hoping that they will be open to his correction and change their ways. But he's not only knocking at the door, he is speaking loudly so that we may hear his voice. Are you drowning out his voice? The Lord is knocking and he's talking to you. He goes a step further. He offers a meal. Why is Jesus even doing this? Well, first, let's jump into the meal section, and then we'll talk about why is Jesus doing this? The meal. Why are a ton of our date nights centered around food? Why do people go to real burger joints like In-N-Out for fellowship over the world's best burger Why do we break bread in our homes with one another? Because there is an intimacy in sharing a meal with someone. When we dine together, there is an agreed-upon acceptance and honor between the two people. Do you hear that, guys? There is acceptance. Jesus accepts us when we have it all figured out 
when we are A-plus Christians with an amazing report card of, Lord, look what I've done. No, he accepts us when we see our desperate need for him. That's just crazy to me. It's so graceful. And while we may be quick to write people off for abandoning us, for saying, ah, Alec, I don't really need you. Man, it's so easy to be like, all right, that boat sailed. See ya. But not Jesus. Jesus never writes anyone off. Every soul matters to him. He desires that everyone is saved from the judgment and the wrath of God. So he patiently knocks and he waits, holding an invitation in hand. Jesus offers us what we can never find anything in this world. Jesus offers us something so much more than anything we could ever experience or anyone we could ever encounter. The offer is for all who see their need to rely on the Lord rather than themselves. This is an offer to all who see that what the world offers cannot satisfy me perfectly. It will fall short. And this is offered to all who cannot cover up their own sin and shame. Jesus is offering here in his counsel to make the exchange from self-reliance to Christ-reliance, from lukewarm to zealous for him. And to further motivate and encourage his church, he holds out a reward for the conquerors. Our last point is the choice. Verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This word conquer comes from the Greek word nikau, which is where Nike got their name from. So Nike's message to its people who wear their brand, who wear the swoosh, is you can conquer any opponent, you can conquer any task, any reps before you if you're wearing our swoosh. Right? So here, Christ is calling his people to be Nike Christians, to conquer their lukewarmness. That is what he is asking them to conquer. And man, the Lord holds out a reward to encourage and motivate his church. Vince was able to help me see that this reward is a restoration of the created order the way it was intended to be, free from sin forever. After the creation of the world in Genesis, we see the apex of God's creation, mankind who is made in his image to rule in his place in the garden. God gave the command to have dominion, and through Christ, he restores not only our image, but our ability to have dominion. And then, even better, he even shares that dominion with us. The promise to the repentant overcomer to the Nike Christian in Laodicea, anticipates the privilege of participating in God's kingdom for eternity. This is where Jesus is taking his people 
in Revelation. Back to the garden for eternity. Back into rulership with God. Brothers and sisters, look at your life and assess the areas where you may be lukewarm in and repent. The church in Laodicea was self-reliant and it caused them to be lukewarm. It affected their works. Their works were ineffective. They were not Christians who were hungry for the Lord. Let there be an urgency to wake up, to shake off our lukewarmness, and to let the kindness, the love, and the merciful patience of the Lord ignite a fire in our heart for him. Now, on my way to church this morning, I was listening to Zach Williams. He's one of my favorite artists. And in his song, My Liberty, he says, There is a hope for all who've gone astray. There is a road for all who've lost their way. And there is a light that leads us back to grace that ever shines and never fades. That light is the sun. Not the big fireball in the sky, S-U-N, but the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning and ruler of all of creation. And if you open the door, if you hear his voice, you will enjoy rich communion with him forever. His presence results in us overcoming, to being restored to our original purposes, and to take the rule and reign of the Lord over all of the earth. Pray with me. Father, you are so kind to us, Lord. Lord, thank you for not writing us off. Lord, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you for your love for your people. Lord, help us to see how great our need for you is every day until we are fully in your presence. Lord, liberate those who are trapped in their pride and self-reliance. And Lord, I pray that they experience freedom in the riches, freedom in the white garments, and freedom in the salve you have to offer. Lord, give us the courage to die to ourselves and live zealously for you. All of God's people said, Amen.